you. How are you going to work today? Uh, relax. It only hurts when I banter. Maddie, look. All I got to do is zip, tuck, comb, and shave. I will be the same old David you've known and loved. Is that a promise or a threat? Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. We hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every week. Now, this is going to take several years, as you can imagine, so please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. We will also be releasing bonus episodes of interviews with creators, cast and crew to extend your listening experience. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Moonlighting the Podcast. Hi, Shauna. Hi, Grace. We're here to talk about Witness for the Execution. I can't believe we're already here. It um, first aired on the 11th of March, 1986. It was directed by Paul Krasny. It was written by Glenn Gordon Caron, Jeff Reno and Ron Osborne. The guest stars Roberts Blossom as Lawrence Everett, Ellen Gear as Amy Everett, Michael McRae as Lieutenant Tapia, Judith Searle as the front desk nurse and Corinne Carroll as the nurse. Synopsis of this episode... Maddie and David are approached by an elderly man called Lawrence Everett to assist him in witnessing a murder, his own. He says he has hired someone to murder him, but wants a witness to the murder to ensure that his family receive his life insurance policy, as it does not pay out for suicide. Of course, Maddie and David disagree on whether to take the case. Maddie decides that her agency will have nothing to do with it, so David takes the case on his own. Due to no fault of his own, David is forced to go underground as he is now a fugitive, being framed for the murder of Mr. Everett. Maddie is now left to solve the case on her own, determined to clear David's name. And this episode contains the first non-imaginary kiss between Maddie and David. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> we waited a long time for that. I know. <laughs> Can't wait to get to that bit. But we can't get ahead of ourselves, Shauna. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yes, yeah, so let's start from the beginning. The episode begins with Maddie running to the elevator. Usually she's uh, coming out of the elevator, but we see her running to the elevator. Crowded elevator. Lots of men. One lady. And she's very, very happy. We have a very, very happy Maddie. And she's just loving her Monday morning, which is not usual for most people. <laughs> She's really contrary to us, isn't she? (laughs) 
I know, Maddie. Well, maybe on Monday morning she gets to come and see David. So, you know, after a long weekend. So maybe that's why maybe, she's Yeah. So maybe subconsciously she's thinking, oh, I'm going to see David again. It's Monday morning and she's singing in the elevator and she's singing Monday, Monday by the Mamas and the Papas, which was a great song. Who doesn't know that song? Yes. Great song. Perfect song. All of the songs that they use in this episode, I think are fitting. You know, they're really getting to a point where I think that they could use just about any music that they wanted to. You know, the show is probably really popular at this time. And if they asked for a Rolling Stones song, they got a Rolling Stones song. If they got a, wanted a Mamas and the Papas song, they got a Mamas and the Papas song. Yeah, they sure did. It yeah. was a song by the Mamas and the Papas from 1966 for their album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears. It was the group's only number one hit on the US Billboard Hot 100. And the first time in history, a song by a mixed gender group reached the top of the charts. Okay. Yeah, great band. And, of course, we have men in suits, as usual. Many men in suits, and Maddie just kind of squeezes right in there. The elevators in this building always seem to be, well, not always, but sometimes they're really crowded. Yes. (laughs) And, yeah, Maddie's just singing, and everybody's kind of looking at her like she's a bit nuts. And then, you know, when they get to her floor and the elevator door is open and she goes out, they're all, they all kind of go lean to one side and, (laughs) You know, and uh, I did check and you might have checked too um, to see if it was the same people in all, in both cuts, you know, like when she got in the elevator, when they opened it up, I, I was wondering if the extras might've gotten mixed or, or anything, but. Yeah. I didn't look at the ones at the back, but the ones at the front were the same guys. There were two strange looking guys next to her. One woman yeah. after, over her like right shoulder. Yeah. And there was kind of a short guy that you could only see when she got out. Short balding, yes, short yes. balding guy, kind yeah. of older. Yep. Yeah, I think so, they did that okay. But yeah. they obviously had to put up with her singing the whole time because she was still singing <laughs> when she got out. Monday, Monday, so good to me. Monday morning, you was all I hoped it would be. Yeah, so were you getting Sybil vibes here? Yes. I definitely thought it was more Sybil than Maddie. Yeah, her cheeky behaviour like it was in that interview with Good Morning America. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, Maddie doesn't seem like, I don't know, it's not quite Maddie-like behaviour to be like so, Monday, Monday, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, I got Sybil vibes. But it was nice to see her happy. I really like her, to, you know, I wish she was like yeah. that more with David. But it's like as soon as she sees him, she changes. She's a completely different character. Yeah. And she was excited to see him because when she went into Blue Moon, she headed, she said, Mr. Addison in, and she went right to his office. So there was something to that. Mm. But then, of course, that excitement and that can't last very long. And he's definitely in a state that's not going to make her happy. So she enters Blue Moon. And now everybody is either hung over or they hate Mondays. And poor Agnes is sitting there sipping on her coffee, trying to wake up. And she just walks in, good morning, everybody. And they're like, good morning, Miss Hayes. I love Mondays. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Miss Hayes. I love Mondays. No. <laughs> now, my question here is, why is everybody there before Maddie? Like the Wobblies get there early. All the workers and Agnes, they're there, all of them. You know, walking around, coffee. But aren't they normally there before her? I know. I'm just wondering what time do they get there? Because she usually gets there about nine, doesn't she? 
Yeah. And I know Agnes gets there earlier and turns on the lights, gets the mail. You know, we've seen her do that before, turn on the coffee pot and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe the workers get there at 830. Hmm. Well, I find it amazing that these workers don't do any work. They just lounge around and yet they're very punctual. They're there. They're early. They're earlier than Maddie. You know, they're dressed. They're ready. They're having coffee. Anyway, I just thought that was funny that the office was like full of workers, but Maddie's just arriving. So they must get there a little bit earlier than Maddie and David, who seem to arrive around nine. But yeah, like I said, she heads straight for David. She's in a good mood. She goes into his office and we get a look around his seemingly empty office. And again, Agnes is too slow in trying to let her know that there is a problem in that office. (laughs) Exactly. I noticed that Agnes didn't exactly stop her. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about David's office when they pan around the empty, quote unquote, office, it's morning and the blinds aren't completely closed, but it's dark out there. Do you notice that? Usually you get, you know, the outside view of the city of LA and it would be daytime and there would be light streaming through, but the blinds aren't completely closed, but it's all dark. Okay. I did notice it was dark, but I didn't put it together that it should be morning. Yeah. It should definitely be light out there. Yeah. But it's like he doesn't want light because he's hung over, but still, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So... Maddie turns around and she says, so Mr. Addison's not in yet? Oh, he's in. The problem is he might be out. (laughs) Might be out. So Agnes brings Maddie into his office. What does she say? I think she says, hello. No, she says, good morning. Oh, good morning. Oh, I'll be the judge of that. Good morning. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. They've got to have the the commentary of good morning. And... He's all yours. He's all yours. But I like how they do that little shoulder-to-shoulder tiptoeing thing from the door to the desk. And it's like, they use that music in other episodes where it's like step music, I called it. He's all yours. You know me. I love the Maddie Agnes moments. And them standing together, walking over to the desk on their side to find out what's going on with David. It's, um, It's funny. Yes. And Maddie, she's like, David, what is going on? You, you could already hear like the annoyance in her voice. He aims to get up and he hits his head at the bottom of the chair. Low ceilings. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about that is yes. the camera shot is between her legs again. Again. Um, yeah. They've kind of done in other episodes as well. Yeah. Um, yes. Where you get between her legs to David, who's with an ice pack on his head. And he, like you say, he tries to get up, hits his head on the chair. Low ceilings. I hate that. And she is, uh, David, who or what is responsible for this? And I love how he lands on the calculator. It's so funny because I remember buying those paper rolls for the calculator. And you know what? How I've been decluttering lately in the garage, I found an unopened packet of one of those eight rolls oh. in a packet and it's not even opened. Oh my <laughs> and God. I know the calculator's oh, wow. somewhere. Sign of the 80s, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I remember using those. Yeah, it's like, you know, we've seen Maddie do it in other episodes. like, and it's like, yeah, I love the physical comedy of Maddie trying to help him up. And it's funny that she does kind of try to help him up. She closes the drawer and she's kind of got him from behind. And, you know, they do this whole physical comedy thing where they fall back in the chair 
and he's half dressed and her hand goes a little bit down his pants in the front. <laughs> and, you know, then he leans forward and he, his head falls onto the calculator and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah so. And she puts her hand on his chest too. Yes. I know that her hands are kind of keep a going, oh. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. But I don't get his response. Why? To her. He says, he falls back on her, you know, and this is whole thing of her trying to help him up and everything. He falls forward. As he falls forward, he says, I bet you cut my food up great too. I don't know. It's like he just fell back between like Maddie's legs and her legs are up in the air. And, you know, they love this whole idea that he's between her legs. You know, I don't know. I just feel like there could be a better line that he could say something a little bit more cheeky than I bet you cut my food up great too. It doesn't exactly yeah, work. He, yeah. He had a similar line in, um, in all creatures. Oh, all creatures. Yeah. All creatures. Oh. Line there when they fall backwards over the couch. Yeah. Like, yeah. Illustrated manual. Oh, he was um, like, right idea, wrong position, or something like that. Something. But, yeah, exactly. I don't know. We need a line here that's more like. He's basically saying, well, he's sitting on her lap. So he's a child yeah. and you'll be able to feed me. Like um, she's taking care of him, I guess. Yeah. That's, it wasn't a sexual remark, which we prefer. But yeah, from him, I would have expected a more cheeky kind yeah. of remark about the position that they're in. Yeah, that's right. I think it's more of a link to what's just about to happen with the the old man coming to see them because he's in a nursing home and sometimes they have to feed them if they can't feed themselves. I think with Glenn's writing yeah. and even with um, Jeff and Ron, I think there's always a little reason why they'll put a line in because mm -hmm. it's all linked back to the plot trying to link it to the plot yeah that's probably true this line that he says it's when she says what's the next line where she says okay, something so about she wants to know who's responsible for this and he says no one thing no one person it was great and she goes it was or they were and he says all of the above and below and that's yeah. when she says you're disgusting and smashes him on the head. <laughs> right. You know how we um, say lines from moonlighting in our everyday life. We try to squeeze them in places, but only we know that's from moonlighting and nobody else that we're talking to has any that's idea. Right. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those lines where you can squeeze in the like all of the above and below, but I'll always try to say and below, but it never works. <laughs> And so it just sounds awkward, but I don't care. And of course, nobody would know what the hell you're talking about, Shauna. They'd but, go, what the hell is Shauna on about? Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they probably just think another kooky thing I'm saying. But yeah, every time I say like all of the above, I'll say and below. But no one ever catches, you know, of course, would know where that was from. But it's just one of those lines that I'll say <laughs> from the show that nobody would ever know. Unless I was talking to you, Grace. That's right. I want to know, how did he get to the office? The state he's in, obviously the taxi driver didn't hang him on the door this time. I mean, he's in a rotten state. How the hell did he get back to the office? <laughs> well, yeah, he went to Vegas for the weekend. We know that. Mm. Probably a, a cab. I guess he must have flown, right? He flew to Vegas on Friday and came yeah. back Sunday. And he, you think he got back Sunday night or early that morning? He just went straight from the airport to Blue Moon, didn't even go home. But he has a suit on. Why would he have a suit on? Would he wear a suit in Vegas? Yeah, Maybe. because he's on moonlighting and he has to. Yeah, because it's the 80s. And in the 80s, every man wore a suit everywhere. 
<laughs> whether they were hitman killing people or going to Vegas or there for a case, they were always wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, even the hitmen. That's so funny. But as soon as she says, and she's probably testing him, it was or they were all of the above and below. She gets so mad. That's when she gets so pissed off and jealous. She's jealous, jealous, jealous. Yeah, and that's what I've written here. Is she jealous or mad? Oh, I think she's mad because she's jealous. <laughs> you think she's mad because <laughs> she's jealous? <laughs> yeah, I think she said it was or they were. I think she was kind of like throwing mm. out there like, oh, what happened this weekend? You know, were there women? As soon as he says, oh, the above and below, you know, yeah. she's like. By the way, I think he's full of shit. <laughs> I think he just oh, got wait. drunk and he's trying to get her jealous or something. I don't know. Do you think he even went to Vegas? Yeah, I think he went to Vegas. Yeah. But I don't he, think he got any action. But he so just I don't, I don't want to think that he got any action. <laughs> <laughs> He's David Addison. <laughs> he got some action, I think. No, I, I think he's full of shit too. I think he's like messing with her. But yeah, I think he just went and gambled and got drunk and who knows, or, you know, flirted with girls and who knows. He's definitely trying to rile her up by some comments he makes later as well, but we'll get there. It's very ironic comments, let me say. So she runs out of the office and they're in the middle of the office and he says, are you mad? 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 If I calm down, I'll be mad. And, oh, my God, every time she says this, it drives me nuts when she says, look at yourself, and he looks up and he looks terrible. He tries (laughs) to look at himself. And because, and you know what, the makeup on him is great in this scene because he looks pale. He's so pale and his eyes look sunken and the makeup around his eyes and the earring and his hair. He looks shocking. It's amazing what you can do because he's pretty handsome and to make him look like that. I wrote that too. He looks gray and maybe, you know, Bruce was known to come in hungover. Maybe he was hungover. And by the way, Grace, I showed you before, but um, my little homage to the episode are these little piglet earrings that I found. So for anyone out there, I have these modern day pig earrings that are very similar to David Addison's, but just a little bit more updated version that I'm wearing. Aren't they cute? They are gorgeous. I would have gotten you a pair too, Grace, if I could hand them through the Zoom. I know. Actually, that could pass as a letter instead of a parcel, so I'd get it quicker. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, either a good makeup job or Bruce was hungover for real or a mixture of both. And when he uh, looks at himself, she does her grunt. I love her grunt. Mad? If I calm down, I'll be mad. Look at yourself. You never can understand how to do that. I wrote here also that this whole like, look at yourself. That's a line that she says in, in The Sun Also Rises, that when he does that same thing where he looks up. <laughs> <laughs> So just a line, you know, that, that comes I up. Like, yeah, I like how they use things again. Yeah. It's, it's still funny. Now, Grace, you had to count door slams and briefcase slams and purse slams and another briefcase slam and another. <laughs> she was slamming everything. I think this is one of the biggest fights they've had. Yes. Yeah, so she goes into her office and slams the door and he screams, oh, because it's loud and he's he's not coping with the loud sounds and she's purposely making the sounds because she's so upset with him. And, you know, if you look at it from her point of view, she's trying to run a business in a business-like way. (laughs) (laughs) And you show up looking like landfill. (laughs) 
And all through this, he's like, Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. And she's slamming things all over the desk. Stop that, will ya? And he slides everything off her desk. And I wish he was doing it for a different reason. Oh, I know. Exactly. If you can clear the desk that fast. (laughs) You enjoy undermining me, don't you? Uh, Maddie. I'm trying to run a business. Uh, In a business-like way. Maddie. And you show up looking like a landfill. Stop that, will you? (laughs) Oh, I love it. And it's just to stop her from slamming everything because she is so mad. There's a lot of emotion in this episode, more so than other episodes. Her angry, him angry, and then a lot of sadness and emotion over what's happening with them being separated, I guess, and everything that he's going through. Yeah, a very emotional episode. So he clears the desk and she says, you should be ashamed of yourself. And he's like, you know, why? If we're having a weekend, you know, weekend. And, you know, he's got all his banter and all that stuff. He says, yeah, weekend. You remember Saturday and Sunday, the time between work and more work. Two days of Dionysian delights, Bacchanalian binges, the time when you go out looking for happiness and end up hunched over somebody else's toilet the weekend. Now, is he looking for happiness? And I think that what he's describing there is probably what really happened that weekend. Back alley binges, you know, um, throwing up in a toilet. Well, I think he just is looking, I don't know if it's happiness, but He's good time David Addison. You know, he's nothing else to do but go out, have some drinks, have some laughs, meet some people. You know, it's just how he has fun, I guess. Yeah, and that's him. And he he knows that she's not going to go with him. No. (laughs) That's not Maddie's idea of a weekend. No. And her little lecture to him is pretty telling. Some really telling things in this episode. But uh, one thing I like that he says here um, when he sits on the other side of her desk is, You know, he says, don't worry, it only hurts when I banter. (laughs) (laughs) You can now go to coffee.com slash moonlighting the podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash moonlighting the podcast and buy yourself a door slam. Yes, that's right, a door slam. Some devoted Moonlighting fans have contacted us since we began this project to find out how they can support us. As you are well aware, Shauna and I do this with great joy and we have so much fun creating this podcast every week and interacting with you guys on social media and via our fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com email. So we would be ever so grateful for any small donation that you can make. Maddie would be proud. He's saying like, Maddie, all I need to do is like shower, shave, zip, tuck, and I'll be the same old David. You know, this isn't the first time he's coming to work hungover. I mean, he knows what he has to do to like get himself back to his norm. He's quite confident that he can zip tuck comb and shave and I'll be the same old David you've known and loved. And she said, is that a promise or a threat? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She doesn't know if that's a good or a bad thing. So this is where we find out that he went to Vegas. Yeah. Hit it a little hard. Real trouble began when I met a topless tuba player from Des Moines. She had a set of lungs on her to want to quit. (laughs) Oh, my God. A set of, I don't think the lungs are what he's talking about, Shauna. Nope. Um, (laughs) And Maddie doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear this. She wanted me to come to her room with her. But you know me. I had to marry her first. But this is where I say it's some ironic conversation because, and then Maddie's picking up saying, Mr. Pesto, do you have the number of the weather? 
you know, so like she doesn't want to hear, she's trying to distract herself from his weekend and his women and his good time and everything. But when he says, but you know me, I had to marry her first. She's like, what? You know? know. And it's a great wide shot too. She looks at him, he says that, and then bam, she slams the phone down. Mr. Pesto, do you know the number of the weather? What? You know me. I had to marry her first. You what? What a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, and we all know it. But out of character for Maddie Hayes to get married in Vegas on a whim season four. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But come on. She's so mad when McGillicuddy does it. She is so irate immediately at the thought of David doing it. Mm -hmm. To me is like, "Mm mm-hmm. Sure, Maddie. Well, it's the pot calling the kettle. Black. (laughs) That's right. In life, maybe that's why she did it, you know, because she knows what hurts, right? She knew what would hurt. So maybe it is in character. But yeah, so David goes from apologetic to very smug here as soon as he kind of falls back on the couch. But he looks very cute. He does with these little earrings that you've got there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And the chest hair and him kind of like stroking his chest hair and kind of. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he does. He has a cute little look on his face, you know, everything she's saying to him. So Maddie really lays into him here and really gives him a lecture about grow up, David. But before that, she says, you what? When she finds out he's married her. Not to worry. Added an old in the morning. Bell captains can do that, can't they? And then there's a pause because she's got the the biggest shock on her face. And then he says, gotcha. And she's like, did not. (laughs) Gotcha. Did not. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. 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 He's like, I didn't believe you. And he's like, yes, you did. You know. And she runs over to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She is really jealous of this whole thing. You know, what's really sad. What? Oh, the last 10 minutes of Lassie come home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so good. And can I just say that was a lovely movie. It's a movie from 1943 with Roddy McDowell. That's a reference to that. Yeah. So I like, you know, I really listened to what Maddie was saying to David here. And she's right. You know, look at you. And then he does that thing with his eyes again. But like, you're a grown man. You're not a kid. You're going out binging, drunk. You come into work looking like this. Yeah. She's just telling him it's like sad. It's pathetic. And you're a man, not a little kid. And yeah, like it's a big lecture from her, like grow up. And he gets a little defensive when she says, basically, you're not a 19 year old and you cannot recover like you used to. And he's like, I can do anything now that I could do when I was 19. So he wasn't happy Mm -hmm. about that comment. No, it's true. He's it's different when you're 19. You know, now he's probably 30s, whatever he is now. You don't recover the same. And yeah. he, he is not recovering well. <laughs> he looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. And it's just not a good look for a man in a business. And she's right. Everything that she says later to him, which we'll get to, I don't appreciate the way you're presenting yourself in my place of business. Everything that she's telling him while he's laying there, looking very cute, but hungover. He just believes he's indulging in narcissistic, self-destructive yeah. behavior. Um, <laughs> Yep, narcissism, self-destruction until I puke. And she's right. 
no need to show up like that on a Monday morning at that age in that kind of condition. But it's David. So there's a knock at the door. And what amazes me is that she says, who could that be? Well, who do you think it is? It's always Mr. Pesto. (laughs) I know. He's like my truant officer, no doubt, you know, because he's getting a big lecture from like Principal Maddie right now. Yeah, I had to look that up. I didn't know what a truant officer was. Mm, Yeah, when you're late. Yeah, a person employed by a public school system to investigate the continued absences of pupils. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't have that term, but anyway, yeah, that's good. <laughs> good to know cuz I actually had to put the captions on last night cuz I didn't know what he said cuz he sort of says it quite under his breath. Yeah. Principal Maddie. Now, did you notice a little goof? No. I hadn't I didn't even look at any goofs in this episode. You'll have to guide me through it. All right. So, Agnes says, you know, there's a client and Maddie's like, oh, I knew this would happen. And he's like, oh, I'll go. I'll slip into something less comfortable and all this whole yep. conversation. Agnes is like, wait, wait, no, I think you should talk to this man now because he's looking on his last legs, right? And then you get a shot of a hand taking the brake off the wheelchair and there's this bright red nail polish. Yep. Okay. But when Amy pushes in the wheelchair, she's got clear nail polish on. Oh. Yes. Good so whatever. The, yeah. So yeah, whoever hand it was for the little insert, and Amy doesn't even look like someone that would ever have red, no. na- bright red polish on, you know. So it's kind no. of funny that yeah. So it must have just been an extra around the set or something that did a, like the <laughs> hand insert later, you know. Um, goof number one. Goof number one. And also when Agnes closes a door and blocks them from going out, that's another door slam. So so far we've got two door slams. Yes. I think you ought to see this man as soon as possible. And I like how they both say it together. Why is that? (laughs) I like that too. Yeah. So the daughter wheels him into Maddie's office. They introduce themselves and he introduces himself and his daughter and asks his daughter to wait outside. And he begins to tell his story. And oh my God, how amazing and interesting is this man's story. So I know it. And Maddie and David are mesmerized. They are mesmerized. But what cracks me up is that this guy says he's 90 years old. And I'll tell you what, if I look like that at 90, I wouldn't be complaining. But anyway, um, this gentleman at the time was 62. Are you serious? Mm, That's Robert's Blossom. Uh, If anybody remembers him from Home Alone, he was the scary man across the street. uh, Oh, Yeah, so he says he was born on the 4th of July, 1896, yet he was born in 1924. (laughs) So there you go. How funny. Um, But I love the camera. There's a wide shot and the camera slowly, slowly, slowly goes towards um, Mr. Everett. But did you notice something else, how David, when the gentleman starts to talk and they're so interested in what he's just about to say, there's two chairs there, but David turns one around for Maddie to sit down and he kneels on the floor. Okay. I thought he he sat. Did he kneel on the floor? Yeah. I thought he sat like in a little tiny bench there or something. No. Yeah. yeah. Seemed like the chairs were like preset. You know, the two chairs in front of the desk, but yeah. they only use one and there's one in front yeah. of the camera that's not being used. So I thought that was nice. Very yeah. chivalrous. He turns it yeah. around for Maddie. She sits down, but he just kneels sort of next to her. Okay. And it does look like he's sitting down, but he's not. Okay. I had to look twice. 
Yes. So Robert's Blossom began his um, career in 1957. He was six foot one too. Yeah, like um, Bruce. So he was born in 1924 and unfortunately passed away in Santa Monica in 2011. And the other bit of trivia I found out about him is that he actually died in a nursing home. No. Mm. Golden Hour nursing home? Not that one. And it's funny also, in 1981, he was in a TV miniseries and he played Seth Beckwith and the miniseries was called Morning Becomes Electra. Oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah, he did the Twilight Zone TV series. More recent was 1995 was The Quick and the Dead. But that's Robert's Blossom. He goes back a long way. Great actor. What a great name, Robert's Blossom. Love yeah, it. I often think about that. I'm wondering whether it was there was a mistake made at the registry office when they registered his name and they've just yeah. left it. <laughs> yeah, Robert's. Yeah. yeah, Robert's Blossom, yeah. But I like it. Cool. It's a nice name. Yeah, it's great. Love it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Anyway, Maddie and David are mesmerized, and David's chin is literally down to his nipples, seriously, because he's like... <laughs> that was a very good imitation, Shauna. Too bad nobody can see it. <laughs> yeah. The image of him being hungover and looking very pale and now he's jaw dropping because he's listening to this great story from this lovely old man. There's some great single shots of them both listening intently. Oh, yeah. Yes, they both are very taken by him and amused with the story and just kind of, you know, the nostalgia of the story and just everything that he's lived through and everything that he's seen. And yeah, that's really interesting. Everything that he does say, his memories and the first airplane and remembering a New Year's Eve. And it's a nice little scene. I love it when he says, we had been delivered to the 20th century. So yeah, good. Delivered. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So really good. Yeah. Nice dialogue. My first memory is as a little boy, what must have been New Year's Eve. My family taken me to a special dinner in Baltimore. And I remember there being a sudden pandemonium outside. The clock must have struck midnight. People shouting, screaming, thrilled and terrified. We had been delivered to the 20th century. And the first time he saw an electric light bulb which I had to check that too, just make sure that timing was right with that. 
<laughs> right? Because, yeah, interesting, because in 1882, Edison helped form the Edison Electric Illuminating Company of New York, which brought electric light to parts of Manhattan. But progress was slow. Most Americans still lit their homes with gaslight and candles for another 50 years. Only in 1925 did half of all the homes in the U.S. have electric power. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. A long way in a short time. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw an electric light bulb. First time I saw an airplane in the sky. I served in World War One. Served again in World War Two. I was married forty-seven years. I have three children. They have children. Their children have children. And their children have children. I have lived a life. Yeah, I mean, they are captivated by a story, and what he has to say is amazing. And I have children. My children have children. Their children have children. And their children have children. You know, like, wow, this man has seen everything and he's really lived. But Maddie, you know, Maddie, as much as she loves the story, she's like, I love everything you're saying, but why are you here? Like, what does all of this have to do with why you're here? Yeah, she just wants clarification as what he wants them to do. And even later, David says, what do you want us to do? Yes, I know they ask a few times. So finally he gets to it that there that a murder is going to take place that night. Cue music. David's face looks very concerned. And basically Mr. Everett's story is that a murder is going to take place. He's hired someone to come and kill him basically that night at Golden Hour uh, Nursing Home. And he wants Maddie and David to come and witness that it was, in fact, a murder and not a suicide for insurance purposes. And he is concerned that I'm assuming they're lawyers and doctors that are draining the funds, trying to keep him alive so that they can still earn an income. But it's reducing the funds that his children and grandchildren will get. So he wants to stop that. Machines clean my blood. Machines pump my heart. Machines push air into my lungs. It's not a miracle. It's a horror. Wow. What a line. (laughs) I know. Basically, his point of view is that the point of the story is that he's lived and he's seen everything and done everything that he's wanted to do. And now he's not living a life anymore. He's just Mm. being kept alive. And he wants to choose his exit. And he wants to go and instead of that money being put towards his care, go to his family and his kids and grandkids and great grandkids. Mm. So that's the whole debate and argument that Maddie and David have in the next scene is what's right. Someone choosing when it's their time to go or do we follow the law? And the law says you don't get to choose. No, it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So this episode has a lot of interesting look at the characters and their points of views and their moral guidance and things like that, which, you know, they both see his point. They do, you know, they both, understand it but it's just maddie is saying you know maddie might go along and do that but it just business-wise she can't you know that she can't be involved in it business-wise can see her point of view because if they do assist it is a crime whether she agrees with him or not for blue moon they can't get involved and if you put yourself in her shoes you would probably make that same decision yes yeah this is where i think mr everett tells him a little white lie where he says that we don't know it yet but he tells him a little white lie that he has found somebody sympathetic to his needs and he says at five past eight he will enter his room at the golden hour nursing home and 807 he will leave the deed will be done and he will never be found so he wants them to document that someone has actually murdered him 
Mm-hmm. Maddie asks him why, and that's when he begins to tell them that he can't sit by while every penny he has mm-hmm. and every penny that his children have coming to them is used to prolong his pain. So let me ask you something about the plot. Is Mr. Everett hiring Maddie and David to frame them so they'll catch David or Maddie in the room and think that they murdered him and therefore they won't know it was a suicide? Or is he hiring Maddie and David and telling them that someone else is going to do the murder so that's what they'll tell the police? Yeah, I thought about that too and I don't think this little old man would be trying to frame them. He wants David to be there after he's already gone himself and turned the knob off so that, um, yeah, then it looks like somebody has turned off the respirator. So, okay, if David, here's the thing, David got there early. So if David got there at 8.07 and the knob was off and Mr. Everett was dead, David is supposed to tell the police it was a murder. He had someone hired to kill him. It was a murder. It wasn't a suicide. It was a murder kind of thing. Okay. But later with the plot, Maddie is kind of saying, you know, when she goes to Amy's house that David's been framed and it was Mr. Everett that really turned the knob. And we really need to make the police aware of this because of the way the slippers are facing and all of that. So Maddie's kind of making it like Everett framed David. Yeah, that's right. That's how it's looking. But this is how it was in Mr. Everett's head. I'll tell them that a guy's coming at 8.05 and then at 8.07 he will leave. And then, but the problem is, even if David tells the authorities, oh, it was a murder, somebody killed him, he's still not a witness to anybody. He hasn't seen anybody leave. Yeah, he hasn't seen it. Yeah, he hasn't seen anything. So, I, I yeah, it, it's a little bit, the plot's yeah. not quite yeah. all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something's not working. Something's not right, yeah. It would work, yes, if the old man was trying to frame him. That would work. But I yeah. don't think that's what his plan was. He just wanted them to tell the authorities this guy just left in, you know. But really, Maddie and David can't tell the authorities that he came to them in the morning to be witnesses because that means he knew that he was going to die. Do you know what I mean? So it's all, it's all wrong. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Yes. But later Maddie does say like to Amy and to the detective, Mr. I think she says she's pleading to Amy. Mr. Everett is framing David. And we need to let them know that he committed suicide and that's when they ask for the second prince on the knob and that's when they see that mr everett's prints are on the knob and then they see that he did commit suicide and it wasn't david so on some level i think and you know moonlighting plots can get a little bit convoluted so i'm not saying that's what mr everett had planned but okay in this scene mr everett knows that no one's really coming to murder him right yeah okay so like you say he's telling a little white lie to maddie and david He's going to commit suicide, but he knows insurance won't pay out for that. So he wants Maddie and David to tell the authorities someone murdered him, basically. That's what Mr. Everett has in his mind. But really, later on, David's getting framed for it and Maddie needs to stop that. All right. So maybe maybe Mr. Everett did want to frame them. Maybe. Because the other scenario doesn't make sense in my head because there's no witness to anything. They haven't seen anything. 
Because if they admit to the authorities that he came to them, then they don't get the insurance. It comes off as a suicide that he organized it. Yeah, I know. That's why I don't get like Mr. Everett. Why was he taking the risk of the the authorities knowing it was a suicide? Because he knew the insurance wasn't going to pay out for that. And that was the most important thing to him. So Ah, moon landing plots. It's clear. Yeah. But I think you're right. Now that I, I think about it, I think, yeah. The plot works better if he had planned to frame them. Yes. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. Because if you listen to the conversation that Maddie has with Amy later, that pretty much tells you everything. And then she goes and tells the lieutenant. Okay. We hope you're enjoying listening to Moonlighting the podcast. And for all you devoted Moonlighting fans out there, we now have Moonlighting merchandise. Check it out at redbubble.com slash people slash moonpod2016. So... We go to commercial break and we come back and David's in the bathroom shaving and Maddie has Mr. Everett's. Okay. So this is another question. What's with this huge packet of paper and big, huge file on Mr. Everett that Maddie has in her hands for a simple, Hey, show up tonight at eight Oh five kind of scenario. Yeah, like so what, what? it looks like, has he given them all his insurance papers or financials, which really they don't need. Again, they haven't mentioned their fee, and he's just offered them $25,000. There's $25,000 cash in the folder. Um, oh, yeah. And he's trusting them with it, though. Oh, yeah. He leaves, and they might not yeah. even follow up. That's true. They don't have to do anything. He'll be dead. Keep the $25,000. He, <laughs> he doesn't know if they were there or not. I mean, what are they thinking? They're missing the whole plot point themselves. <laughs> they could have bought another car for David. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's funny. So she's got the big folder. He's shaving. And now we have this kind of classic scene of David walking out of the bathroom with his heart boxer shorts on. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Maddie knocks on the bathroom door and says, how do you want to handle this? Well, what I like to do is get the bathroom good and steamy. My beard nice and soft, my razor clean and sharp, and then close my eyes and shave. Close my eyes. And of course, she's saying that she didn't have the heart to give Mr. Everett back the folder and he runs out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying you've already made your mind up? And he slams the door. So that's another door slam. That's number three. Yeah. And she looks down. You like him? I was thinking of getting a pair with pockets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, God. I know. And of course, she can't have a serious conversation with a man dressed in those. Let me slip them off. Oh my gosh, I know. I love that line. And I love that she is sure that they're going to agree. Surely we're going to agree on, yeah, you know, the fact that, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, huh? No. And he's like, disagree us? <laughs> yeah, I disagree us, yeah. And somewhere there's an oh. And she says, what does that oh mean? What does that oh mean? Just like in Twas, they have that same conversation. Mm. What does that oh mean? But this time he tells her. So we get into this opposing conversation where Maddie says it's murder and she's not going to take the case, but David is a little more empathetic to the old man's needs. And the way he explains it is pretty convincing, even though, you know, it's morally wrong, but he says he has no cards to play. A man who's trying to fold his hand, a man's trying to cash in his chips, then you missed the point. I did. You did. Maddie, don't you see? The guy just pulled an ace out of his sleeve. And he's going to win the pot for his kids. And quicker than you can say Amarillo Slim, he's going to take the A-train to forever. He uses the poker metaphors in this Yeah. Scene. And 
it's kind of telling because you hear he says there's a reference in there that I've never caught before, but he says uh, something like as quick as you can say Amarillo Slim. Yes. Yeah, I got and, that. Okay. And so you probably did too, but I looked up Amarillo Slim and he is an American poker player who won the 1972 World Series of Poker. Yeah. And he was inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame in 1992. Oh, okay. His real name was Thomas Austin Preston Jr. Mm. And was born in 1928 and died in 2012. So yeah, Amarillo Slim. That's always slipped right past me. I've never actually heard it because only because now we're, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> going through the episodes with a fine tooth comb. Yes. But yeah, that was good to to learn that. I know. Yes, another reference uncovered. So yeah, I mean, they're having a basic argument, which is it's a moral issue. You know, Maddie says it's wrong. David says says who, you know, why shouldn't ever decide? Mm. Says you yeah. at the ripe old age of 35, you're going to decide for a man who has lived for almost a century what's right and what's wrong. She's not going to be a party to it at all. And she leaves his office and slams the door. Number yep. four. Yeah, door slam, number four, yes. Yep. Lots of slamming. A little goof I noticed in this scene, well, actually, there's, there's a few actually because you've actually mentioned this before, but one is that the strap on his singlet is twisted. Mm. And then it isn't. And then it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. A bit like his shaving cream. Yeah, I know. And all of those little things show you, you know, all the different takes. Yes. Especially the shaving cream. The close-ups are different from the wide shots and, yeah, yeah. so the different setup and all of that stuff. I can't imagine how long he was wearing that shaving cream for. I know. During the day. I know, and wiping it off and probably reapplying. And yeah. his beard even looks a little longer. You know, it could have been over a day or two. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a continuity issue. I like how he walks through the office and the wobblies <laughs> look at him like, what? And he's like. Nobody says a word. Yes. And this is where David is so angry. Like, Is this the angriest David's been so far in the series? Mm, I don't know about that. Where would he have been? more mad because he's really 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 angry at maddie here yeah i mean he was really mad when she said she was better off running the agency on her own yeah he was kind of hurt and he did slam out of the office but here he's like screaming at her he's actually screaming at her yes and like a really angry tone so yeah you're right he's been like hurt and slammed his way out of places and stuff before Mm. but he's really angry at her here because he's like when he's like slams down on her desk and he's yelling at her. Yeah. He's really angry. But what he's really angry about, okay, yeah, I mean, they're having a difference of opinion and that's nothing new. But I think what he's really angry about is that she said she's given him an order. My agency's not involved and neither are you. So it's like her telling him specifically what to do. Mm. That really made him mad. I think that was like the, the what kind of set him over the edge this time. But she backs off on that. She definitely backs off on it later. Like we said, fair enough, Blue Moon can't be involved. But can she tell David what to do? Not really. Well, not outside the agency, no. Um, Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he slams the door open to Maddie's office. So that's another door slam. So that's number five. Mm -hmm. Roll back to neither are you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's what made him mad. Yeah, so Maddie tells Agnes that she's already called the messenger service and to put the folder in an envelope. Agnes walks to the door and David blocks her way and takes the envelope and the note from her 
Mm-hmm. And then he barks at her, which she jumps. But then do you notice that she tries not to laugh as she's walking out of the office? <laughs> no, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, look at it next time. She She's serious the whole time because he's blocking her way. And then he barks at her and she jumps and then she goes, what this, like she's trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Anyway, this scene, I think that Maddie is growing some Corleones, as we say. Uh, she's really growing some and, and she's saying, I'm not going to let you charm me. I've been letting you charm me for a few months now. And I'm thinking a few months, it's been longer than that, that he's been trying uh-huh. to charm you into uh-huh. doing cases. I know. But she's taken control of this scene. Like, she's like, no. And she's cutting him off when he's trying to say something. And no, it's my agency. You do what I bloody will say and shut up about it, you know. Yeah. Maddie is kind of coming into her own as a business owner here. Like, my business, my company, I call the shots, you know. And it is true when you think, I mean, David is so good at charming her and like making her do things that she isn't sure she wants to do. And normally, I mean, it does turn out that he's right and, you know, she's become a better detective for it, but she can't let him run over her every time. Yeah, she is. She's growing a pair here and probably much needed. Yeah. And the word boss comes up a lot. I have no interest in talking to you and seeing I'm the boss. This presents a problem. He's like, I don't like this side of Maddie. I'm not happy with what's coming out of her mouth. Nope. And, you know, she doesn't appreciate his cavalier attitude towards his appearance. And then she says... I agree with her. Yeah. And there's an old expression, you don't dress for who you are. You know, there's an old expression, you don't dress for who you are, you dress for who you want to be. Do you really want to be Soupy Sales? Well, I had to look that up, didn't I? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. You know who... You did. I know Soupy Sales, yeah. So Soupy Sales, his actual name was Milton Supman. From 1926 to 2009, professionally known as Soupy Sales, was an American comedian, actor, radio, television personality, and jazz aficionado. He was best known for his local and network children's television series, Lunch with Soupy Sales, later titled The Soupy Sales Show from 53 to 66, a series of comedy sketches frequently ending with Sales receiving a pie in the face. Gee, I wonder where they got that from which became his trademark. From 1968 to 75, he was a regular panellist on the syndicated revival of What's My Line and appeared on several other TV game shows. During the 1980s, he hosted his own show with WNBC in New York City. So that was Soupy Sales. Now I know who he is. Yep. So that's who she likens David to. Euthanasia. Do you know what that is? (laughs) Oh, a charity for some kids in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, Glenn, honestly. Sounds like that. It's murder. Why don't mm-hmm. you stop it before it happens? So he calls her a hypocrite. You're against it. That's right. So you don't want us to help him. That's right. But you're not going to do anything to stop him either. What's that mean? If you're so damn horrified, call the police. Go ahead. Tell him what he told us. You know a murder's going to happen. Why don't you stop it before it happens? Can't quite get up for that, huh, boss? Because it's an epic- Because you're a hypocrite. As long as the blood's on somebody else's hands, that's fine. As long as it's not on yours, right? Which is yep. true. If you're not happy with the whole thing and you don't want to stop it, you're not calling the police either, are you? Mm-hmm. So yep. he's right there. Yes, he has. he has a point. He does. Like using examples where he's right every morning that we wake up, we have options. 
where to go, what to eat, what to do, who to meet, stuff like that. Just the up and back banter where she's saying, well, you know, what this man is doing is murder, is fraud, is wrong, which is true. It's murder, it's fraud, and it's wrong. Yep. And Maddie doesn't want to be involved. Now, this is when she backs off telling him what to do, though. Now she says, yeah. if you want to be involved, I don't want to know anything about it. Yeah. You do it on your own time. So I like that because it goes back to what really made him angry is roll back to and neither are you. So she did back off on telling him what he could do outside of the business. She does understand that. And he, you know, is probably going to get involved outside of Blue Moon. I think she got an inkling that he probably would have gone beyond her back and gone and tried to do the case anyway. So she's like, well, okay, off you go. This agency has nothing to do with this case. If you want to do it, you're on your own. Yeah. So he takes the paperwork and he says he has something to do that evening. And she says, you do, huh? Yes, he does. So, you know, he is going to be involved as he's leaving. Yeah. And he wipes his face with the towel. And oh, that drives me insane. But anyway, it gets good. <laughs> and throws it at her on a, yeah, on a desk. And I know. Oh. Yeah. I don't like that. Either. Now, I have another question, Shauna. He says he's going home, okay? Why does he need to go home to sleep when he's only getting up at 7 o'clock? <laughs> oh, my gosh, I know. And doing a five-minute job and leaving again. Yeah. You know what? If it was a job where we had to be there from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m., yeah, all right. But he had to stand in a hallway for 25 grand and go home. So why are you going to sleep? <laughs> I know. Yes. Because they do mention in other episodes like, well, I'm going to go home and get some sleep if we're going to be working tonight and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing as you, but was David going home and going to sleep because he was tired and hung over or because he had to work that night at seven <laughs> or eight oh five? Oh, that's true. Maybe, I didn't think of that. Maybe he was just hung over because I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah, maybe he just went home, got some sleep. He was feeling like crap, set his alarm for seven. Because I'm thinking to myself, that's what they should have done for In God. That's when they should have slept during the day and stayed up for that body. Right? Yeah, exactly. God, that's so true. That's such a good point. It's like you're going to go home and sleep all day for Mr. Everett, but when you're really supposed to be sitting there watching the body <laughs> up all night, you guys go to sleep in five minutes? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. That makes yeah, uh, yeah, that just made no sense. So, yeah, this whole scene of David getting up and all that, I don't know, it's like really cozy to me or something. I just, I like him at home, the alarm, him sitting, I don't know, there, it's like a different scene that you don't normally see, like him just like waking up and now as opposed to the gray look that his skin had earlier and everything, now he looks really good mm. after a little sleep. And it's one of those early scenes where Glenn did not want anybody to see where David lived at that stage. So this mm -hmm. is all in the dark. You don't yeah. see anything. Kind of dark, just shadows. It's like pitch black and it's only seven. So I forget what time of year we are here, but yeah, could ring true. Certain times of year it is dark early. Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones is playing. Yeah, and that's an interesting choice. Yes. Um, using this. Is very telling. Uh -huh. Because it was um, from the Rolling Stones 1968 album Beggar's Banquet. Uh-huh. Symphony for the Devil was intended to be an analysis of the dark side of humanity, one which allows itself to be easily swallowed up by the banality of evil, thereby helping it to accomplish the wickedness it craves. If you understand the devil within yourself, maybe you can deal with him. 
So I actually looked at the lyrics. Wow. You guys have got to look up the lyrics because it's very interesting. So I can see why they chose this song. Yep. Even the title, you know, it's like you're having sympathy for the dark side, which Mm -hmm. is this guy committing suicide or having himself murdered. But David's having some sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. And what I notice about this scene too is because it's just David in the car on his own and it goes for a bit over a minute, this scene, where there's no dialogue, it's just the Rolling Stones, but he turns it off and he turns it back on. And I think it's just to give the character something to do because otherwise he would have just been sitting there driving along and nothing's happening, he's not talking to Maddie. <laughs> you know what I mean? That yeah. was my impression that that's why he kept touching the knob because I had to get him to do something because it was over a minute of nothing. I took that as like David's kind of struggling with what's going to happen next. Yeah. And the music is kind of a distraction. So he turns it off, but then it's too quiet. So he turns it back on. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I don't know. I felt like there was more purpose than just like having him do something. I felt like the music is distracting. I just want like quiet and get my mind straight on like what's going to happen next. And then like, ah, no, too quiet, you know, turn the music on. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I took it more like that. So couple things, I guess. Well, David getting to the nursing home. First, it's hard to understand. We know he's there early because we see, you know, they keep showing the time. Yeah. So it's 7.50 yeah. and he's in a real rush when he goes into the nursing home and then the nurse stops him and she wants him to sign in. And then she stops yeah. him again saying the pen had no ink and then she's got to go back and he keeps looking at the clock. And, and initially, were you thinking as well, like, why are you in such a rush? You're 15 minutes early and you're really supposed to be there to like watch it. So we're thinking David's going to go there to witness the murder, like he said he was going to. Mm. But then we find out later that he actually wants to talk some sense into Mr. Everett and get there early and stop it. He's had a change of heart. He's had to think about it, had to yeah. think about what Maddie said to him, looked at her yep. point of view and thought, no, I can't do this. I've got to go and tell him. So he wants to go there early. But mm-hmm. um, Mr. Everett's smarter than you, Gungadin. Yep. He did yep. it earlier. He did it earlier. But, but yep. you know what? He took a chance that a nurse wasn't going to come in there and see it. Who, Mr. Everett? Yeah. Well, maybe he knew the nurses just changed shifts. So he probably knows when they change shifts because oh, that nurse said that she had been on there for two seconds. Well, you're smarter than me, Shauna. That's good. <laughs> I like that. I'm really inside the mind of Mr. Everett right now. You are. Now, I'm looking up. The nurse. Yeah. Nurse Ratchet. She looks like Nurse Ratchet. She was a lovely looking lady, actually. Her name is Judith Searle, the nurse at the front desk. Wow, she goes back to 1951. Wow. Anyway, she was in a lot of just small roles in TV series, Archie Bunker, and she was Rachel's mother in Remington Steel in 1984, and then she was the front desk nurse in Moonlighting. The last thing she did was 1993. She was in Heart to Heart Returns, the TV movie. So anyway, that's Hmm. Judith Searle. Yeah. So this whole, you know, it, it is like a tension builder, you know, you're feeling David's stress, you're looking at the clock, you know, she's like, sir, this nursing home looks so sterile and dark and mm, not comfortable at all. Yeah. David's going through the halls looking for Mr. Everett and everything. And he's, you know, at first I'm wondering why is he rushing so much if he's early? I mean, it really shows the David's sweet side when he goes in there and is like, Mr. Everett, you know, I wanted to give you what you wanted, but I can't. And I don't think you should either. Mm. I think he's just making sure that the guy didn't come early or he just wanted to make sure he was there way before the guy. Well, he's assuming there's a guy coming. So Mm -hmm. he's really worried. He wants to get to him first. 
Then he kind of realizes that Mr. Evett might be dead already. And he takes the extra step of trying to save him. And what's with this nurse? Is she deaf? I mean, this place is like empty. She doesn't hear him like yelling and screaming. Well, she came with medicine. So maybe she was in the medicine room or something and wasn't hearing. But David's really trying to get her attention, calling, you know, pressing the nurse button and all this stuff. And then he starts trying to turn on. He's trying to save the guy. I mean, it really shows a really sweet side of David. Yeah. One thing I noticed about David's outfit here, which is kind of interesting, is exactly what he wears in like season five all the time. He stops wearing suits and he starts wearing like all these baggy like shirts and jackets. Mm. Yeah. Season five, he like never wears suits anymore. He wears like a button up baggy shirt. And you know what I mean? It's like really like all is lost. They were all over it by that stage. (laughs) Oh, I know. Oh, they were totally over it. But it just so reminds me this outfit. It's even like the color shirt and everything that he's wearing like later in season five. And it's almost like a foreshadowing is what I'm trying to say. Cause it's it so is like exactly what he looks like in season five. But anyway. And, and he often said in the commentaries that he was so sick and tired of taking his tie off, putting it back on, taking his tie off, putting it back on used to drive him nuts. Yes. And anyway, he's yelling and screaming and he's trying to save Mr. Everett. But, um, you know, Mr. Everett has found a way out and he is gone. He's gone. Yeah, of course, the nurses are deaf as a doorknob. They can't hear anything. But then she just walks in with, oh, what are you doing? What? What? Huh? Oh, please. Are you deaf? Anyway. um, (laughs) Far out. Anyway, my God, you've killed him. And David (laughs) just looks at her and looks at him. And doesn't say anything. He doesn't defend himself and say, no, actually, I didn't. (laughs) That's true. Why wouldn't he say, no, when I came in, everything was turned off. I was calling for you. I pressed the nurse's button and, you know, I was trying to turn it on and save the guy. But yeah, why doesn't he explain? Or maybe he didn't. She didn't believe him. She just thinks uh, what she saw is facts. Because what happened is as soon as she turned the corner into the room, he turned the machine off again. You know what I mean? So that's all she saw. Yeah. So all she's telling police is when I came in, he turned the machine off. So, yeah. And that's fair enough too. That's what it looked like. Doesn't mean yeah. that's what it was, but that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Anyway. Anywho, we're back in Maddie's room and how the yeah. heck did he get in, Shauna? I know. We've got thunder and rain and lightning and yeah, the weather has turned because now, you know, everything is stormy in the world of Maddie and David. Yes. Now, I always thought that he got in through those balcony doors off of her bedroom. But after watching today, he left that way. But I, I'm now I'm not sure that that's how he came in. Is there a fire escape? It can't be. There's, it's a house. Unless there's yeah. um, a ladder there's going a, down because that's up on the first floor. There's lattice, I think. Isn't there like lattice outside the window with bushes on it or something? I don't know. But he got out that way somehow, too. What did he do, jump down? I'm not sure, but it's, uh, I don't know, but it's annoying how he gets in sometimes and then other times when we really need him to get in there, he doesn't, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. um, How do you think he got in? Do you think he did Mr. Stickpin or? (laughs) Mr. Stickpin! (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Witness for the Execution Part 1. Stay tuned next week for Part 2. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to, to Moonlighting, Moonlighting the Podcast.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.